All right. So, welcome back, Walton Calvin. Feels good to be back. Yeah, be back. <laughs> back in the lab. Back in the lab. Division Media. Division Media oh, yeah. Lab. That should oh, be, wait, what are we drinking? Oh, we're drinking Director's mm -hmm. Cut Cabernet Sauvignon. Shout out to the Coppolas. I love their wine and I love their movies. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers, mates. Chin Chin. The year of creative success. Infinity. Yeah. Infinity. I like that. The year of creative infinity. I love that. That could be a movie right there. The year of creative infinity. Maybe take away the year. Maybe just creative infinity. Creative and infinity. The premise is what's the log line? Um, 16 friends go mm -hmm. uh, to a cabin. Yeah. For an ayahuasca trip. Yeah. Unlike any they've ever discovered before, yeah. when a crazed local legend. Yeah. By the name by the name of Frederick Villanardo. The third. The third. Van Douglas. Van Douglas. He's quite he's got the longest <laughs> villain name of yeah. all time, but he uh, he's a local uh, and he's there to kill him. I guess it's got to be dead. Yeah. I I'm <clears> he's like, not he's not sure why he's there, but he has an inkling that he's supposed to murder them. And it's from his perspective, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the whole movie's from the villains, from the antagonist's perspective. Creative infinity. Who's the yeah. protagonist? The protagonist are the sixteen friends. Do we have names for them, or they're the unknowns. No, we have names: Billy, James, Gordon, Stephanie, Matthew, Frederick. Uh, Isaiah, Penelope, uh, James, there's two James, and... What are Bruce in there? Bruce? There's two James, and there's a, and Frederick, and Frederick is also the name of the villain. Yeah, Frederick is also the name of the villain. They have... But they, they, but they call him, town. they call him Filler Darno. what I say? Is it's, a, <laughs> it's a small town. Yeah, um, yeah. Matthew... Wait, what if the two Federicks? What if the two Federicks were twin brothers that was separated at birth? That's it. Well, don't give away the twist. Yeah. In the log. Well, line. we don't even know the twist is that. Malachi. Malachi is good. Yeah. I or, like um, Ryan. Coriander. Ryan. Yeah. Coriander Ryan. is a nickname. Her real name is uh, Megan, but she goes by Coriander. That makes sense. Yeah. I see the lines there. That's connected. Orion, you said. Two more. Phyllis, uh, Garfunkel. Phyllis and Garfunkel. Garfunkel is also a nickname. His real name is Simon, but they call him Garfunkel. Because of Simon because and Garfunkel. Because of Simon and Garfunkel, correct. In, in, which, in which there's a Simon and Garfunkel song playing on the radio when his characters... Yeah, and finished. when the credits roll as If well. you have to put it into one sentence or one theme, what is, what is the conceptualized theme of this story? Well, it's 16 friends go away for uh, an ayahuasca trip that is out of this world when... Frederick, the murderer, Fear, the yeah. murderer, uh, shows up. Yeah, but he's not sure if he's supposed to murder them or not. So it's, he has a feeling. But that's not a part of the logline. We won't. Yeah, he has a he has a feeling, but he's he's uncertain. The whole movie is about Frederick's arc, whether he should murder them or not. His internal struggle. It's to becoming the murderer. Yeah. So it's it's like uh, you're it's your it's not a typical thriller where. The you know the killer is doing some nefarious shit. It's like you're inside the mind of the killer, and these sixteen friends end up ruining his time. Yeah, he's also there to enjoy the trip. Yeah, but because of these people, it's because they, 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 they were trying to do peyote, but they got something that wasn't peyote, and right. it ruined the entire trip. Yes, and for the audience, you're you're inside the mind of Frederick, the mm -hmm. murderer. So 
you want to, by the end of it, you have reason for those characters to get murdered. Yeah, yeah. He has his own save the cat moment early on so that we're on board with Frederick wait, wait, the Murderer. Wait, wait, wait. My only question is, how does the title tie into all this? What was the title? Creative Infinity. Oh, yeah. Um, There's they 16 believe... friends that are artists. Yeah, they're, they're the creatives. And then, and all, right, all right, that was weak. That was well, weak. the 16 friends are the creatives. And then whatever they take that's not peyote makes them feel like they're in infinity. But I think I think it could be kind of a, it can be almost like a sarcastic title. Also, if they're dead, that's kind of infinity, right? That is infinity, yeah. yeah so, And they each have their own, like, uh, they have, like, one of them's a musician, right? And he mm -hmm. dies from, like, guitar strings, like, getting wrapped around his neck. Yeah, it's all ironic deaths. To their to their creative infinity. Yeah. I don't know. Let's, we'll pitch it to the networks and see what they think. Yeah, I, hopefully we get greenlit. I'm going to reserve that title. I feel that title deserves a better... Better logline. Better logline or, or different storyline. Yeah. This deserves something different, something more in line. So what, what would you put Creative Infinity with? What would, what's your storyline for Creative Infinity? Look, I'm just, I'm just a producer. I'm telling you that it don't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just... If I'm Creative Infinity. You, well, okay, so maybe... Well, I can just go to like everything everywhere all at once. Is like Creative Why not Infinity. Paradise Fall? Paradise, Paradise Fall? Fa or Paradise Falls? Falls. Okay. It's, that has I kind of like, like that, film. actually. Yeah, that goes more in line with what y'all I kind of dig that. Yeah, maybe the, these titles, man. I kind of dig that. Yeah. I'm a good producer. Paradise Falls with, you know, Frederick the Murderer. Who would you cast as Frederick the Murderer? Oh, easily Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Wait, but, but, but first, guys. Okay. Actually, before that, yes. But second of that, I'm sorry. You guys are here and we're rambling on. Yeah. Um, Hey guys, it's Andy. Abe. Abe. Today we have Calvin. Calvin what? Tiger. Calvin, Calvin Tiger. Tiger. And right. welcome to. Wait for it. We have a name this time. It's yeah. Creative vices. Why? Because we talk about We're our creative. vices while we share them. We so have vices. Cheer, cheers. Being creative is our cheers, vice. Cheers. Chin chin. Chin chin. chin, chin. chin and chin. yeah. Salud. Welcome to what seems to be a creative brainstorm of yeah. Calvin Tiger. Uh, what was the name? I, I came up with it. Something. Paradise Falls. Paradise, Paradise Falls. Falls. Coming to you in a theater near you. Mm -hmm. But we're also taking money so we can fund it. So, collaboration. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. We're now accepting donations. Yes. Yeah. How about our Patreon? You can uh, sign Paradise up. Falls. You can send us five to $5,000 a month. Mi million. Oh, million. there's an M. Uh, yeah. I hit the M in case. Are you guys planning on buying the island? How much money do you think the production well, is? Well, we're gonna we're planning on having. Hey man, there's a market out there for infinity money. We're, pla we're planning on having out. Zoe Zaldana be uh, the lead. Who's the lead? There's like there's sixteen leads. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th see, that's the modern day movie is having sixteen leads because our attention span uh needs that yeah she, well she plays both stephanie and penelope their twin sisters is this like a cabin in the woods meets like um that movie Club Dread. Was... it meets <laughs> what's that movie with uh cheaper by a dozen cheaper yeah, by yeah, the... yeah. <laughs> cabin in Me, the woods meets, meets, identity, meets, by the meets dozen. identity if you see if you remember that movie three-way yeah. hybrid i guess yeah yeah, exactly. I, yeah, my movies end up always having a three-way hybrid it's always supposed to be so and so you know whatever meets whatever and i was i'm always like Blank blank meets blank. Yeah. Speaking of your movies, You're, you stole my lot line. I was about to ask him about that. Did yeah, I'm good at. Uh, yeah, of course, man. Segways. These guys are on the same. Segways are king. So, 
Again, speaking of movies, or of your movies specifically, do you have anything that you want to plug? Any kind of cat-related project that you've been working on? Yeah, I got a movie called Scritchy coming out. Oh, yeah? And um, it just so happens that Division Media was a huge part of the yeah, camera and lighting department. Mm -hmm. um, some would say gaffer, some would say camera operator, um, some would even say um, production designer, some would even say uh, production management. Yeah, it, it was, was it was a dual effort. A little, little bit, bit of everything. It was collaboration. Yeah, it's a short film, and a lot a lot of short films, you know, are get done that way. And yeah. In a lot of ways, that's my favorite way to make movies is when it's with the homies, just everyone being good at what they do, mm -hmm. trying real hard to make something great. Now, what were you trying to, what was the, tell us about the the ethos of the origin of the story. Yeah. There's a little bit how'd more you, texture. How'd you, how'd you come up with it? The with story this? of Scritchy? Well, first, let's let's hear the, what the story's about. And then yeah. we want to hear how you, yeah. how you got to it. So the logline of Scritchy is um, two young musicians are lured into pet sitting a demon from hell when a mysterious email promises them a life of fortune and fame. Opportunities to die for, some might say. Um, yeah, man, so I'm a very musically driven person. I spent most of my time as a camera operator working in the, film, in the uh, music industry, whether it be you know, touring with bands, uh, being in a band touring myself, or creating music videos. One of my favorite things to shoot and edit. Thank you, good sir. A little refill in the Coppola. One of my favorite things to shoot and edit are live sessions. I really, really love filming live music. And so with this um, this movie, Scritchy, it was all based out of, uh, basically, I was listening to my friends' music. And uh, one night I was playing a rather heavy song by this band called Dialogue that I'm super into, super love. Those guys are my best friends, they're great. And uh, my cat was looking demonic as hell. Over sit, she was, she finds like the places in our apartment where if she sits there and stares at us, looking cute. It kind of is offset by the lighting in a way to where she looks demonic. Like there's like this juxtaposition of her looking so cute and also knowing that her intentions are evil as fuck at the same time. I feel like that's most cats though. It, it is most cats. Um, ours in particular because she doesn't like anybody. She doesn't even like us. Like for real. I mean, you guys were there. You experienced yeah. Scritchy. You know what the yeah. Scritchy energy. Yeah, I think was. most people in that production were kind of like, oh. I think we were all scritchy. terrified of that cat. Yeah, but Jaleesa, what's, her, what's her real name? Teary. 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 Yeah, yeah. But but uh, so Scritchy is a nickname that she's had since she was a kitten because she was a a super scratchy kitty. Like she didn't sit on you. She didn't rub up against you. She attacked your fucking skin or didn't engage with you and it wasn't like that the first couple days but it just grew to that um and, I, and she's been like that ever since so i think that was that was really the inspiration is um i'm not i've been wanting to make short films like i said i was doing music videos for a long time and um, i kept thinking of these short film ideas that seemed very boring to me and the first one i wrote was, uh that seemed exciting after I transitioned into like, okay, I'm doing cinema now. I'm going back to narratives. I'm going back to my roots and doing what I got started doing. Um, the first one I wrote explored uh, a movie I made when I was 11 years old that starred a T-Rex action figure. And so this uh, short film I wrote is a prequel to that. And I thought, oh, that's pretty clever. I can find my own thing. 
working with these action figures, this intellectual property of Mike Good, Detective Mike Good, which is the name of the dinosaur. In the in the original movie we made, his name is Bad Mike. Um, so, and this is something that I just riffed with like my four-year-old cousin when I was like just barely old enough to handle a camera, you know. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. It's just really just to entertain myself. And when it came to writing another story, uh, Scritchy seemed appropriate because it has this otherworldly sense. Like I can't take anything too serious, you know. And it's like a pretty silly premise to be honest. But I wanted to try to ground it in um, a reality, kind of like John Wick is like in reality, but it's not right. at the same time. Yeah. So kind of coming with that approach, we're like, yeah, we're totally uh, grounding this in reality, but at the same time, not at all. So I'm, I'm interested in exploring um, ideas or concepts that I haven't seen or heard of before. You know? Have you guys seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Yes. That movie. Long time ago. Yeah, that movie inspired the hell out of me because I, I've never thought of taking all of the cliches and turning them, uh, seeing them from the perspective of the killer. And in that movie, the killers are not killing anyone. The, you know, the protagonists, so to speak, are killing themselves, thinking that those guys are trying to kill them. But really, those guys are just trying to have a good fishing trip. You know what I'm saying? And so I just love the beauty of that juxtaposition mm -hmm. of absurdness, you know. I, I really think that life is absurd. Like, I can't get a grip on, like, how some things line up so perfectly that it feels like it's a movie. Like, this is where we get ins yeah. inspirations for stuff. Yeah. But then at the same time, some shit is so absurd and out there. It's just like, how is this possible? And then, and then you have the introduction of memes, right? Memes come in, and it's like memes are that thing that you've thought of a million times but never saw like captured in a little like image and then you see it on the internet you're like oh i've thought that a million times yeah and so i just feel like why are we taking shit so serious all the time i don't know yeah. man it's it's a goofy world that we live in so i, I lean into the goofy of it yeah i feel like in, in in a lot of ways we all live very similar uh lives where we have very similar thoughts i guess depending on um, where you're from, but there are certain things that you don't like say or do because you think it's like personal mm -hmm. And then someone else has the same experience and they voice it and you're like, wait a minute Like I've been through the same thing, you know, it's okay and to voice that. Yeah, and that's kind of like, you know what, what a lot of comedy I think is about is is pointing out those things that people don't like talking about and You know realizing that we all share that in common We're gonna say yeah Oh, uh, I said yeah, very silent weep. But actually, I was also <laughs> gonna confess something. Uh, I haven't seen that movie, and on top of that, um, I might get a lot of hate from this, but it's gonna veer off into like uh, a topic of an, uh, on its own. But I haven't seen a lot of like movies that me as a filmmaker should see. Mm. Um, I'm with you on that one. It's a lot of stuff bro. to watch. And man. I think I want to ask the main question I want to ask on this topic is: Do you think? Obviously, there's certain movies that we need to kind of like expose ourselves, mainly for inspiration and knowledge and, and just intake of how-tos. Uh, but how do you feel about a filmmaker that doesn't necessarily know all the pop cultural movies that, uh, like, let's say a filmmaker should know? Let's say, I didn't, I didn't watch Pulp Fiction until like a few years back. I still haven't seen um, what's that movie with a... Uh, um, uh, Jack Nicholson in the hotel. Chinatown? No, 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 no the, the Shining. Shining. I haven't seen The Shining. There's oh. a lot of movies I haven't seen that 
I know I should see because on its own, it's educational. I didn't see Taxi Driver until like a few years back either. So my question, I guess, is... Got a lot of movies to watch, man. Yeah. I haven't seen the John Wick series either. But Great action to, movies. But leading to my question, do you think a filmmaker is is like transcribed or even like painted as what exposure he's had on a on a cinematic medium or it's more about the experience that he's had as as his own and you think those are just tools and resources i think it's really a combination of both because like you i have there's a lot of movies that are like it's cinema sin to not have seen that Mm -hmm. i haven't seen like i haven't seen casablanca i haven't seen taxi driver i haven't seen fucking schindler's list or close encounters of the third kind these are all movies that i want to see but when it comes down to it i'm like looking through what's available also there's an over abundance an overwhelming amount of available movies especially right now, now yeah. the streaming industry yeah yeah it's so so it's really challenging to see all of them in the time but um i mean i think that it's going to be a combination of both because what ends up what you end up seeing is when you're watching spielberg movies you're seeing like how he was influenced by John Ford or like when you're in, and I don't know John Ford, right? But I know Spielberg. So then I hear he's influenced by John Ford. And now all of a sudden I'm watching these old Western movies because I'm interested in what inspired Spielberg. So I think it's everyone's like unique journey. And, and our, like a lot of our taste gets shaped by what we're around as a kids. Like for example, I never hear anyone talk about these movies being big influences on them, but big inf- movies that were influential to me are Dumb and Dumber, um, Happy Gilmore, um, Tommy Boy, uh, like a lot of those like early, comedies. yeah, these comedies that were like a lot of these SNL, uh, post SNL actors going on to do comedies, but like that slapstick sort of stuff, Liar Liar by Jim, uh, mm-hmm. I was say by Jim Carrey, but with Jim Carrey, you know, these movies for me, um, were like really silly and really goofy, like Fairly Brothers movies, like these movies, like don't make sense, but they take place in like a very grounded reality. And I think that that's had a lot of impact on me. I think maybe it's a common, like to add on to the whole like potluck of reasons. Um, I think we kind of gravitate to the things that we find in a, a sense of escapism. And uh, from what I'm figuring, you really enjoy diving into those worlds because I see a, a consistency in the movies that you're mentioning. I love drama. I love kind of like understanding my emotions. So I watch things that are emotionally driven. Like one of my favorite movies is Interstellar. And like I I tell this all the time. Big fan, dude. At the end of the day, you're watching a huge space opera. But it, at the core, the movie is simply about a father trying to get to his daughter. Simple. Yeah. And Whiplash, another great movie, is someone trying to prove himself to their mentor. It's, it's so I gravitate to a lot of those movies. La La Land, the ideology of sacrificing your dreams or your love interest. And just, I, that, so I think that's a good point that you're making that it's, it's more a matter as to what you kind of either consciously or subconsciously go into discovery for yeah but also on the opposite end for those that have seen the movies that us filmmakers should be seeing should be more of a nurturing way like oh you should watch this it's this and that you really like this because at the end of the day 
filmmaking on its own it's a discovery adventure so yeah. we can ever really like stole someone for not watching something because like you said there's a huge library of mm -hmm. movies now yeah and to that point i feel like <clears throat> most people they'll start watching certain movies and then like the more they watch they kind of narrow down what their interests are mm -hmm. and then they kind of stick to more or less that like smaller circle of uh of themes that they want to stick to uh, that, they, that they prefer and i feel like that's what kind of influences like a filmmaker is the the stuff that they grew up watching and it also reflects know? on um on your matureness in the to a level like maturity maturity matureness this is we're filmmakers we make up <laughs> words like you're right. uh, what's his word um filmography is not Chris, a word uh, <laughs> christopher nolan creator of fucking word tenet is that a word that he made up no, no but like i think really G uh what's it called he he was describing something about like interstellar and like how he <clears> went <throat> and searched for a different sound other than like horns and all that because that's what he went for with the dark knight series and he wanted something more like of a really religiosity type of thing that's religiosity. the religiosity yeah so it doesn't matter as long as we as, as we understand the context i mean if you want to get real deep the words we use some some bookworm came up with that vowel sound and applied it to an object so let's make up words if we need to yeah i feel that that's true shakespeare came up with like a fucking hundred thousand words but to try to the point i was trying to say is um I feel like a, not a factor in the whole exposure to movies is also our maturity, our matureness. Yeah. Um, and essentially, there's movies that I saw a long time ago that I didn't connect with, but after going through some life experiences, whether it's loss or gains or love or, or etc., I've drawn a new understanding and a new appreciation on them. So. Yeah. I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of different layers as to the reasons why we expose ourselves to certain materials. Yeah. And that's one of many. I, th I think one of my, uh, one, of the, one of my approaches to like finding material to be exposed to and inspired by is like, I, I feel like a creative explorer. Like whether it be music, um, like when I was in early high school, like freshman year, using LimeWire, I was finding bootleg downloads of Toots and the Matles playing live, which is like a really early um, ska band. They were kind of post-reggae into ska, but they're like the beginning of a lot of like punk music uh, right in that, that range. But anyway, I, like, I say all that to say, like I'm like that with cinema too. And not everything that I click on and watch, I click on and watch because it's going to be my taste. It's more so me exploring some ideas or some like emotional like space that I want to be in. Like for example, um, I watched a lot of horror films this year or in 2022. And I'm not typically a horror film person, but I do love the macabre. I do love the like sort of um, creative, spooky, like goth kind of vibes. And so um, I just started watching a bunch of horror films, but where I started was the 80s. I started with the campy horror films, and I fell in love, head over heels. We started with the Friday the 13th, not Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street series. Nice. And there's something about the way that those movies, like when I was a kid, the Freddy Krueger thing, just in the environment that I was in, for me, it felt like corny to be like really into horror. Like that's your thing. It was like 
just at the time, the people that I knew that were really into horror weren't the type of people that I really wanted to be around. So I kind of pushed it away and looked at a certain, in a certain light, you know, and like I was judging it. And then when I got older and recently watched all those movies, I appreciated it for what it could offer me as a filmmaker creatively. You know, even though it's not my my genre that I'm most excited about, I'm usually like a fantasy, like sci-fi kind of person. But in, in that regard, I loved them. And then the next thing you know, I'm writing a short film that is like, feels very campy, silly. It's got some remin remnants of like late 70s um, horror films, which I, you know, I've seen a bunch of those since then as well. But yeah, I think, um, you know, like you might recommend a movie to me that you know I'm going to love and I know I'm going to love, but I'm not going to watch it tonight because I'm scrolling through and I see this other thing that as a creative explorer, I'm trying to explore that like vibe, yeah, that happens. emotion, you know what I mean? And I think that's that a, another factor in it. The fact that we have so much content in our dispose, like whether we recommend a film to someone or not, or someone to us, unless we're literally like let's sit down and watch it right now there's a lot of like distractions and noise around that will actually yeah. like force us to watch it like i've been telling him that i'm gonna watch john wick for almost a month now and we still haven't seen it and i know i'm not the only one that this happens to but sometimes it gets a little overwhelming with how much how many options there are for sure that you end up scrolling for hours without doing that last choosing night. anything yeah i was like what yeah. do we watch and there's like I'm scrolling through like a, a million options and I still don't know what to watch. I don't know, because I feel like it, it to a certain extent, it feels like you have everything to watch. So you're like, okay, I gotta make sure whatever I pick is worth the, my time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So- Would you think that's a lack of authenticity in a sense? Like, like what I mean by this is that there's so much that it almost feels mainstream or commercial that Unless it's a name brand, we don't gravitate to it. Because I know as soon as Stranger Things drops, I think so. Yeah, it's like we're going in. As soon as Last of Us hits, the we're there. Yeah, yeah, I think but... it's. I think you're right. I think it's when you scroll, you look for something that you've either heard or seen before, like something familiar, and that's where you go to. Because you can scroll past a bunch of like movie titles that you've never heard of in your life, and then you you see one that you you heard someone talk about or you saw like an ad for right. or a preview for, and you're like, oh, semi familiar. I've, I've this, I'm familiar with this. I want to watch it. I wanted to watch that, but never got to. <clears throat> exactly. Like, yeah. That's also a shame because in the mass of all the options, we also run the high risk of losing the opportunity to find that hole in the wall like analogy yeah that like oh that one movie uh it's not getting enough marketing or enough yeah. recognition but yeah. it's like um what is it? So, uh, everything everywhere all at once i'm glad that movie blew up because yeah that movie it was under the radar yeah i didn't know about it at all and i saw um and i saw it pop up on netflix it was it it was netflix right no i think we watched it on hulu on who oh, was it hulu yeah wherever it was is it on hulu right now i believe so i don't remember where but i remember it popped <laughs> up and i and i was like oh this looks decent and i saw i waited to watch the preview and i was like oh this looks pretty intense too like it looks it looks awesome you know what i mean it, mm -hmm. there's a lot of like visuals going on so i just played it kind of like without the intention of you know getting into it and as we were watching it, we got really into it, and we, we loved the movie. And thankfully, it's gotten a lot of recognition. Yeah, like, yeah, it has yeah, a yeah, lot did, of Oscar definitely. nominations. I don't know. And it uh, deserves you it, haven't seen it, right? It deserves it. Correct, I haven't. And, Do you know the, the lead actor, though? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you do. know who he is? From the yeah. Goonies. He's not just the Goonies, but from um, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, yeah, I've been. So the my experience with that is like, I'm not plugged into mainstream media very much. And so I don't even know of shit that's coming out right now. I have to go out of my way to see what's in theaters. Um, you know, there's some things that pop up on YouTube or will scroll past my phone. Or like when I go to IMDb, they've always got like, you know, the new shit that's coming yeah. out. So I'm, I'm aware of some stuff. But I, like I said, I'm like an explorer. I'm like watching fucking Teen Wolf, bro. <laughs> it was yeah. like a Michael J. Fox early cut that had like, it was like the director, um, God, I can't remember his name. It had like this this whole ambiance about it and uh, it just wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but I, I clicked on it sort of in a, on a whim, like, oh, I know this is campy. I know it's 80s. I know it's got a little bit of a werewolf vibe, so yeah. it's kind of spooky. I'm not doing shit, fuck it, I'll put it on. And I ended up loving it. And the reality is most things that I watch, I'm probably gonna love them. So that also- Rod Daniel. What is it? The director's Rod Rod Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. Right, it was like somebody that hadn't, a name that I didn't know, but it was a it was a beautiful movie. I thought it was great. And um, yeah, a lot, a lot of the movies that I come across um, I'm not as worried about or focused on like who did what and who was it made by and all this stuff. I'm just like, how does it make me feel? You think that's what's holding together by literally a thread red box? Because what I want to get to is, you think there's a like a, a sense of romanticism when it was actual physical DVDs, you had to actually invest money, not a subscription, but actually a one-time payment and a fistful item or go to Blockbuster to like yeah. rent out a movie. You think that there was a little bit more of an intimate connection with the discovery? Oh, yeah. Opposed to like just Probably. scrolling on a virtual library? I mean, I I don't think it's, I think it's changed. No, I, I think it's just different because I remember going to Blockbuster and being like, there's a million movies. How are we going to pick one, dude? You know what I mean? And they had, it feels the same in a lot of ways in that regard of going to like rent a movie. But the difference is now, um, it seems that when I want to watch a very specific movie, it's not on any fucking streaming platform Dude, for real. at all. But I've been trying to there's watch a bunch a... on my list that are already on the platforms that I can go watch, but it'll be like random shit. Like I wanted to watch Dogma. You guys remember this movie? Yeah. Um, it's a Kevin Smith film. Mm -hmm. uh, late 90s, early 2000s, Jane Silent Bob, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, uh, Alanis Morissette randomly. You know, I haven't like, seen it, but I know of it. Yeah, Alan Rickman, Chris Rock. It's got a star-studded cast, but anyway, you can't get a hold of it now because it was produced by the Weinsteins, by Harvey mm -hmm. Weinstein. Oh. And every movie that he made was ripped from streaming, and they don't do production on them. So I was like... Why can't I find Dogma? I guess it's not streaming anywhere. No big deal. It's a random as fuck movie. No one's, there's no reason for it to be streaming anywhere. And then when I got online and started looking at DVDs and Blu-rays, they were like outrageously priced, like 280 bucks. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this about? So then I had to find a, a homie who has that movie for me to watch that movie because there was nowhere that I could buy it from or rent it from. And I thought that was pretty, pretty crazy. But in the same way, 
bringing that to my girlfriend and being like, do you know what I had to go through to find this movie? More of a this journey. Is, it, it was a journey in that sense of like, I went through so much work, we finally got it. We can finally watch it, you know? So I, I don't know. It's the same and it's not the same. Because on just my different. end, I've been trying to watch, I, I've been trying to find uh, No Country for Old Men. And I don't mm -hmm. think that's on any streaming service. It's a great movie too. Maybe sure. YouTube, but I don't know. I don't go to YouTube to watch movies. I'm not just... sure, but I think we'll be able to. Uh, I've got, you know, you met Javier. Yeah. Javier owns it. I watched it with him for the first time. He showed it to me. And he's got a badass, uh, like, Dolby surround sound. Oh, yeah. Yeah, his, his whole living room is set up for cinema viewing. What are your thoughts uh, on the whole physical medium versus the virtual? Well, you mentioned there being like some kind of romanticism by having more of a physical connection with And the... also on top of that, the fact that it's like a monthly subscription is not going to, you can rent it, pause it and like get back to it whenever. When, yeah. you, when yeah. you go to Blockbuster or wherever, you have like a day or two to watch it. So there's more sense of urgency. That's why That's it's true. a weird sense of romance because it's like, I have more of a... There's definitely more intimacy. More of a commitment to it. It's not just yeah. like, oh, I'll get to it when I can. I do remember renting movies that I didn't get around to watching and that was like the most painful thing because it's like that's money wasted, you know, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think um, on the flip side to, you know, not having that romantic physical uh, connection with the medium, there is for people like us, filmmakers who haven't had their break, those studios, those platforms, those streaming uh, platforms are giving so many people like us the opportunity to get their shit seen yeah to get their shit heard and to be in a place with a reputable name that people will click on like, i know people that have no business making films getting their stuff up on streaming platforms and i'm like mm -hmm. i'm proud of you for getting it on the streaming platform but I'll, at the same time i'm sad that this is what yeah. made it to the platform because i think there's you know <clears throat> you, your future looks better than this but this isn't going to be a good look because it's you know what i mean when you're up also when you're on those streaming platforms there's a threshold of like quality i think expanding on, on that topic it's also a sense of like how do you guys feel about having like because even 10 years back the resources we have nowadays as filmmakers are like essentially spoon-fed to us before when it was hard to get good quality digital camera before then, you had to develop film and all that. So do you think that with providing more tools to new coming filmmakers, do you think there's also like a fallback in it that like there's people that don't really like appreciate or nurture properly? Like for example, all that like huge um, <clears throat> dynamic range and all that stuff is great but you're also losing the art of understanding the light form or the light waves in the sense of like how to properly expose, how to, uh, how to uh, communicate f-stops and how to translate that in your exposure of the lights, light meters, et cetera, et cetera. So do you think there's, obviously there's a uh, give and pull type of situation, but what are your thoughts on that? Do you think sometimes too many resources can detain like, can create too much commodity in that sense, if that makes sense? I think it can. I think that it'll always be that way because this is a technology-based medium, you know? Like cameras are always gonna have specs that us nerds can like geek out about, you know? And there's always going to be 
Good sir. A little Last bit of one. refill. Last Kill one. that bottle. Thank you again to the Coppolas. Yep. <laughs> Big fan. Um, yeah, I think um, it's a double-edged sword because we're in a place where everyone has the opportunity to be a great filmmaker. Yes. And I think that everyone naturally has the opportunity to be a great filmmaker. I mean, I can't count on 10 hands the amount of people I've met that have been like, oh, you make films and this and that. Um, well, I had this one great movie idea for so-and-so and they're like pitching it to me and I'm like, what are we doing here? I thought we were having a conversation. Now you're pitching me a movie. That's cool. But I think everyone has like, they connect with movies. Everyone has the ability to understand the rhythm of, of movie stories, you know, like visual and audio together. Um, with that, you just saturate the fuck out of the entire art form with everyone throwing their hat in the ring. And you really got to be able to, um, you know, being one of those hats that's in the ring, you know, put your... You have to find a way to be the most you that you can be because in this weird way, um, being the most individualistic gets you to the mainstream, I think, the fastest. And um, I've seen a lot of people jump onto trends and get further ahead than someone who's like doing their own thing and being true to themselves. But there's always, when you're jumping onto trends, there's always like a ceiling that you hit where it doesn't have infinity. But when you're staying true to your individual experience and vision, that's when you re reach creative infinity. You can really nice. just take it anywhere nice and do your own, thank you, do your own <laughs> shit. Um, because like, look at Wes Anderson. Like, I am so inspired by that dude, but I don't love his movies. I don't love the films. I really enjoy them. But I, I'm not putting them on in the background just to like fucking feel good. It's on not top my of favorite that, shit. <clears throat> on top of that, I, I don't think but I've seen any them. Wes Anderson movies, but his style is so you prominent. I don't think I have. You haven't seen him and you know his style. Yeah, his style is so prominent you that you... Blue I don't think so. I like his, sti his style is so prominent that you can... Like just the word symmetry. You say symmetry, yeah. Anderson. Wes Anderson. Yeah. Uh, vibrant colors. Wes Anderson. So yeah. it's like, kind of like going back into the original question, like, is it really a sin to now watch all this huge, diverse library of like movies? Or is it, is it just a matter of like the right opportunity and the right uh, influence? Because at the end of the day, we're going to create what we know. So I don't know. You should be creating. What are your what you thoughts, do? man? I haven't spoken much in this one. Uh, I was I was thinking about what you had said earlier about having commodity, with like this abundance of resources, and it made me think about um, when we were in film school, we took the cinematography class, and they made us study like older movies from like the '60s, you know, Casablanca, um, Taxi Driver, that kind of stuff, and and it really put into perspective like what. Um, filmmakers as far as like directors and DPs do um, in, in the sense that everything that you see in the frame like has some sort of reason to be there yeah like whether it's a prop the framing itself a light the background the colors the wardrobe and I feel like the abundance of resources that we have now and the people that are making movies I mean no no shade to anybody that that makes movies nowadays but 
I feel like after these years, you know, currently in, in modern times, we've kind of gone away from like the significance of everything that you see in the, in the, in the, in the frame, yeah. you know? So I feel like a lot of I people are making that. movies just to follow a story and they disregard the, the framing and the, the beauty of what cinematography really is. Um, usually, I'm, I don't, I'm not talking about like big time directors, you know, like Wes Anderson, for example, but like our tours, right? <clears throat> I'm, yeah, I'm not talking tours, about, yeah. exactly. I'm talking about people that are kind of doing this more on a lesser scale. Um, I feel like, and I don't think it's just with movies. I think it's with music as well. And most artistic mediums uh, these days, people are, you know, disregarding a lot of like the reason behind the art. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like you skipped through the hurdle. Like the hurdle was part of the drive, the hunger, the yeah. I need to I need to invest this much money and save this much money to get a to get a camera. Okay, great, I have a camera. Now I need to invest this much money to get at least two rolls of film that are gonna be six minutes worth. Now I gotta make sure that this two rolls of film are probably exposed and I gotta like there's a lot of constant stakes that now it's just a matter of like I'm gonna make a movie. Yeah. Pull out my phone. Well, action. My po yeah, exactly. My, my yeah. point is that they're not they're not really paying attention to like you know what Miss on Sun is, right? Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's it, it kind of everything stems from the roots. And if right. you already have like a like unnurtured root, it's you can only go so high before you topple over. So well, part of me feels like and I'm I'm an unnurtured root in, in a lot of ways because. I had a camera and it was a Sony Handycam and all I had to do was press record and it autoed everything. Yeah. And so like my first seven, eight years of filmmaking experience was I have a camera and we're telling the story right now as we go and making up as we go along the way. So like I really had to study filmmaking to understand it. Yeah. I've always been super happy and excited and at home when I'm looking through a camera and like making, filming something with it. But I watched movies separately from that camera experience, if that makes sense. Like I wasn't watching movies for a large part of my life thinking like, oh, they did this with a camera. It's, it, I was viewing it as everybody else does. Oh, it's a movie, it's trash or it's good. You know yeah. what I mean? And not really paying attention to the art form. I really had to learn the art form really study it and where I went to school they tried their best but we it was a shit show and they just like my the filmmaking program I was in was just like very incomplete and very uh outdated for its time and so I didn't really connect with it in a lot of ways it was more of a videography course than a filmmaking course I mean in school that's I was gonna also touch on this in school they don't teach you the full scope of film production they teach you the 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 glamorous ones, the directing, the yeah, DP, totally. yeah. maybe the producing, but you don't teach too much about, about makeups. You don't teach yeah. too much about art department. You don't teach too much mm -hmm. about gaffing. There's a lot of avenues that they don't really touch on. Maybe they dabble in a bit, but like, I don't think necessarily the yeah. roots really determine their growth. It's more of how you nurture them. Like, right. like what makes it different with you, and I'm sorry, I'll get to you, what makes it different with you and i've just had one experience and it's already said a lot and although you've come from a handy cam you're oh you're, you're going into every experience with an open canvas you're like how okay 
Um, you're gonna listen to every department there. You're gonna try to intake any knowledge that they may have and any criticism. You're very welcoming to education, to growth. So it's not just how deep your, because roots are always gonna start with simple, thin, little yeah. vines or whatever. Yeah. And that grows with nurturing and with kind of like strengthening. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, there's many variables to that question, I guess. And it's, I feel like we're too much in the expedited world of like, as soon as you hit viral, you think that you can like grow those extra three feet, but you're still like, you're still not still fully developed. Right. And we're in to that point where like, there's a departure now of media and cinema and viral, right? Because there's lots of viral content that is being awarded for being financially, for being um, popular, for keeping people staring. But that doesn't make mean that it's a cinematic story. It doesn't. I think what's happening right now with uh, what has already happened, what's been going on for a little bit, is like with TikTok and vertical uh, mediums is used to be video camera meant cinema. And now it's like the whole, like video means anything and everything. And cinema is separate from that. My watch is going off. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole, the whole like cinema world is separate from that. So it's becoming more and more and more and more of its own separate art form, which I love because I love to see it take shape, and you're seeing a lot of independent movies. Like I just watched Barbarian for the first time recently. Is it good? It was great, and it was it totally blew my expectations of what I expected. And as a filmmaker, as an artist, you always want to go into something that's gonna like blow your expectations. Yeah. You want your brains to be splattered on the wall when the movie's over. Like, yeah. Or else it wasn't fucking great. You know yeah. what I mean? But that's the experience they're always looking for. But you're talking about social media. That that kind of like goes back to the point that I was making earlier that. Nowadays, a lot of people that say that they make movies, they kind of disregard a lot of the, not, I don't want to say techniques, but they disregard a lot of like the things that, that the art that's supposed to be on screen when making something. And I feel like most of that is due to the fact that anyone with a phone can make, you know, a movie essentially. And I think also, I'm not a psychologist by any means, but I feel like psychologically, you know people nowadays are so they're, they rely on this like instant gratification where no. you you know you scroll through tiktok and you watch like a five second video and then you go to the next one then you go to the next one and by the fifth one you already forgot what the first one was so it's really hard for like a like a, a movie maker like a you know a storyteller to to leave any kind of like withstanding uh, uh impact on anybody because everything is so easily forgotten. And if you take, you put so much time and so much effort into putting everything that you know on screen, and you can include all the art that you learned from watching like older movies, you know what I mean? Everything yeah. that you see on screen, like I was mentioning earlier, from the shadows, from the wardrobe, from the makeup, to, to anything really that ha that's supposed to have an impactful meaning on what the story is, People kind of disregard that when they watch the movie. They don't think about like, oh, he's wearing a red shirt because of this, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're just like, okay, this guy's going through this alleyway, for example, and then something's about to happen, and then the next scene, you already forgot what happened, and you don't pay attention to these little details. A lot of like, a lot of movie makers, a lot of, a lot of, 
people that are into cinema would would put effort into and i think yeah. it's due to that to the fact that social media is so like touch and go where well yeah i mean you watch something you forget about it the next minute yeah i mean we get on instagram like we just filmed scritchy and we had like fucking 10 behind the scenes cameras it felt like because we're all camera people and we all have you know decent cell phones with good cameras on yeah. them and then, then we <clears throat> had some behind the scenes and we're like so excited about showing those images because i'll be honest with you guys when i show me doing shit on social media that gets way more play than, than what that actual, i actually yeah. made right and so much of us networking and marketing ourselves is about this sort of like social currency that yeah. our social avatars provide that um people are looking over a lot of the the finer details of the art form mm -hmm. which is fine that's totally fine it's going to be what it is i've seen it happen in a several different music communities several different cities where people are like these are the issues with our music community and then five six years later they've all graduated gone done their thing living their lives and then the new kids come into the scene and they're like we have the same problems that they have, blah, blah, blah. They're not saying that, but I'm hearing it from them. And I'm like, oh, it's the same shit. It's just like a repeated cycle. And um, that's, it is what it is. Like people are going to make shit. A lot of it's going to suck. And some of it's going to resonate with you and some of it's not. But really like, I think the, the main thing is being true to yourself and always keeping your compass as grounded as possible to who you are. Because as an artist, that's going to guide everything like i don't know i i i have some days i feel like my vision is very clear on what i want to do creatively and then other days it feels very muddied and hard to think it's normal though social media i think plays a big role in that i mean it doesn't help we we have a whole what we have to realize is we have a whole second life now yeah. we have this online life and, yeah and and it matters like it didn't used to matter it used to be like, oh, I'm not on Instagram. Okay, that's kind of weird, but I respect it. Now it's like, I'm not on Instagram. Well, nowadays I'm like, fucking good for you. Because yeah, we know real. that they've already done it and have stepped away, right? So, um, I don't know. It's just, <sighs> I've been grappling with it since it's been a thing. And I still don't know how to handle it because there's plenty of people I know of that have gotten jobs over me that I would have been a better fit in that job. But... They were on social media at the time that I wasn't because I was out there actually making shit. And so you have a lot of this sort of like people um, getting opportunities that, you know, are bigger than what they probably have worked for. And they might hit it off with that and they might not. They might fail and that's fine. We all fail at shit and they'll be better off for it. But really like. I came from a place where there was no major opportunities for anyone in any kind of thing and it, when it comes to media. So like in a place where you have someone like um, in a city like New York, you might have someone that has these really great ideas with no experience that gets a great opportunity and they fucking kill it. And the next thing you know, that person is uh, Ryan Johnson, like writing all these like major movies or something along the lines. I'm not saying he didn't do, he did it overnight because that's not his story. But just saying like when you're in the location where opportunities are bigger, those bigger opportunities make people grow further. And um, you really just got to fucking, 
the point of what I'm trying to say is nothing matters and just fucking do you be positive be happy and uh, have fun on the journey because that's all we're guaranteed right the time on the journey you know I have a very like I wouldn't say polarized question but just a very subjective question um, what the hell's a filmmaker then like what because a lot of people are now saying film I'm a filmmaker you have youtubers saying I'm a filmmaker you have you have people that are calling themselves filmmakers that have at times no real direct correlations to the industry yeah. but just because they're making videos they attach that title on them so what what in your eyes what is what applies to that title as a filmmaker filmmaker i don't even care someone can tell me they're a filmmaker and i'm like okay cool show me what you make like because i know that filmmaker means videographer it means cinematographer videographer and cinematographer are two very different jobs but filmmaker can mean both so what i base most of my like judgment off of is like what somebody's made and honestly a lot of the times i see what they've made and i project where i think they could be with what they've made and kind of interact with them based on that like oh i saw what you're trying to go for and i really love that even though the short film technically speaking was shitty the audio was bad here and the framing didn't make sense but i love the acting i love the you know you like the, the vision. angle yeah i like the vision yeah and so um but sometimes it does not sometimes a lot of times the vision doesn't really translate with the execution yeah you're right and when we're putting these labels on things like i'm out here trying to figure out which role i am on set am i a cinematographer am i uh, the director of photography am I the which in a lot of ways are the same fucking thing um, There was one documentary where I was the director of filmography because there was people doing a lot of video, but I was shooting analog and The analog stuff made it in there. So it was like well, who's the direct who is in charge of the analog stuff? What do we even call that because that's separate from the video cameras, you know, it should be distinct distinctly separated so we came up with our own like little word. We made up our own word, filmography, or director of filmography, which is not a thing. I mean, you can't even go on IMDb and put in filmography and find out who else has done it. You know what I mean? It's not a fucking word. Um, so yeah, I just, I look at, like when, when I first was getting into these creative circles and taking this creative path, I was born in 1990, I'm 32 years old. There was not a lot of people doing it. There was not a lot of people calling themselves a filmmaker at least where I was at, where I was living, where I was growing up. And now, um, everyone is a filmmaker. And actually, I saw that happen with hip hop too, because in 2008, 2009, I started, or 2012, 2013 rather, I started like rapping. And I always felt uncomfortable with being called a rapper because I didn't feel like I was a rapper, but I was technically rapping over beats and, you know, throwing movie bars in there and camera bars, which I thought were, you know, clever because I'm not really hearing a lot of MCs talking about, you know, uh, a rolling shutter or, you know, uh, camera straps and making these, you know, uh, what do they call them? metaphors with other meanings and dual meanings and shit like that. 
but I was, was like, oh, I'm doing this rap. Oh yeah, I'm a rapper. Okay, fine, I'll take that. But I was playing rap shows and I was rapping. And then the next thing I knew was like, oh, you're a rapper? So is my cousin and my little nephew and my older brother. And I'm like, okay, great. All right, we're all out here rapping. And at first I was kind of like, no man, that's my thing. I do a thing that's different from everyone. Why is everyone doing what I do now? And then eventually I grew to accept it and was like, yeah, everybody is out here rapping. Like, no cap, that's what's happening. I'm seeing everybody rap, so, mm -hmm. all right, everybody's rappers. And in, the, in that same way, I think filmmaking has gone in the same direction, where it's like, when I was in film school, we were a bunch of nerds, and nobody was fucking with us because we were weird and stayed to ourselves. We were into these this other art form that nobody was really fucking with, especially at the school I went to where not a lot of people were fucking with art in general. And um, now it's the opposite. I say I'm a filmmaker and it's like, oh yeah, you know, oh, of course you are. All right, uh, anyway, reading the paper. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like everyone's a filmmaker now. So I don't know, man. Um, I chose this path and I'm already on it. And I think that um, we're, we're just gonna have to follow our hearts because I see a lot of people get into filmmaking, but I'll call it videography. Because um, that's how I see it. I think a storyteller falls in line better than a filmmaker. Because, yeah. in my opinion, unless let me let me get your definition of filmmaking first. What is a filmmaker? Um, I think a filmmaker is someone who <clears throat> tries to bring their story to life through visuals. Um, but I think it it can vary in definition depending on who you ask, really. Because to me. A filmmaker is someone like, you know, Stanley Kubrick, who brings the story to life, but there's, there's so much that you see on screen. Like, for example, I know you haven't seen The Shining, but The Shining, you watch like any frame in the movie or any shot in the movie, and you're like, okay, the carpet is this pattern because of this. The, the you know, he's wearing right. a shirt that's this color because of this. And there's everything that you see and every, everything's so intricately woven and, and, and placed with a purpose. And you know nowadays you don't really get that. So for someone to call themselves a filmmaker and not have or not bring that kind of uh, detail into what what it is that they're doing, it's hard for me to like consider them a, film, a filmmaker as opposed to a videographer. It's just you're not a filmmaker. You're someone who makes videos, which are two different things. Totally. Yeah, I get that. And I used to have that same distinction. In fact, I while I was shooting when I was a videographer, I referred to myself as a filmmaker because I didn't want want to be a videographer. I wasn't necessarily, like I shot events and did event coverage and this and that, but I was always trying my best to shoot it from like a storytelling standpoint. Like, what is the story here? Like this event is at a concert venue, but it's for a clothing company that is hosting this and there's a lot of interesting people. What's the story here? Okay, so I'm shooting like the guy telling, doing his little spiel up on the stage and then I'm, finding all the different types of people that are here. And then half the time I got to edit that shit too. So then I'm a storyteller in the editing room, right? So I was like, man, I feel like I'm much more of a filmmaker. And at that time I was shooting a lot of music videos that were more cinematic leaning than like videography jobs, you know? But for me it was because I was storytelling as opposed to, you know, just capturing shit. But I recently saw this, this uh, short film because I was, I've been screening submissions for the Atlanta Film Festival, and um, I saw this short film that was 
a mockumentary YouTuber style. And so it was like a YouTuber like, hey guys, thank you for coming here. Um, don't forget to smash that like button below and hit the subscribe and ring the bell for notifications. But it was a short film. There's no bell below it for me to click on and do any of that shit. And the way they presented it was as a YouTuber. And then it went through this whole thing and it was a comedy and it was, you know, about um, Native American women and how they like what their exploration you know in this society is like what their experience is like and i just thought it was absolutely like on the cutting edge of filmmaking because it was taking all of the things that we have in the world now in this one particular person's experience putting it into a short film and so i was like wow that was really interesting how it felt like youtube but it was a short film and i think the future is probably a lot of amalgamations of those sorts of things like coming together like I think that there's probably going to be a lot of movies from the generation of kids that are growing up now they're going to shoot movies vertically because yeah. that's what they have and they've been their whole like my whole life I had a handicap and I was framing things horizontal but if I had a phone when I was seven eight years old and I made those same movies I probably would have shot it vertically and I know that it's going to be like a retro nostalgic thing for those kids once they get like 25, 26, 27. And I think that we're going to see a, a surgence of vertical movies. And I think that they're not going to suck. A lot of them probably will. But I think there's going to be an addition. Like there's this whole, you know, we don't want vertical cinema thing. I get that. You only get one third of the frame in the middle that we're used to, right? But I've seen a lot of things framed pretty fucking sweetly using that the rule of thirds, but in a vertical way. And so um, I think we're just going to have to accept that there's going to be that as well. Well, those those kind of movies, I feel like you're not going to be playing on movie theaters just strictly for yeah, because they the, viewing on your phone. The infrastructure, if that's even the right term, it's, it's not. It's, it's not, not built, built that way, right? You can't really go into a movie theater and have a you're just losing view, like two thirds of the screen. Yeah. Point blank. But they may, and this is a dream I have. I don't know if it's a good dream or a bad dream, but I just imagine a world where they build movie theaters for vertical videos. Well, it's, in my it's head, more like, it's more like being at the opera. The, the, the issues that immediately come to mind when you say that is the fact that a lot of these vertical like videos that people make, by the way, not to go off too much of a tangent, but if, if you're making a, a film or a video or whatever, on selfie mode and you have a ring light like you're not a filmmaker like you're just making a video so i don't think you should call yourself a filmmaker just for that <clears throat> anyway my point is i feel like it's you lose a lot of information like you were the point you were trying to make if you're shooting vertically but i feel like the vertical filmmaking or vertical video making is meant for like one person so if you're having a dialogue with someone you can't exactly capture you can't make a wide shot vertically. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It doesn't look yeah. the same. You're gonna get all this headroom. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. So I feel like for cinematography purposes, vertical cinema doesn't really make any sense unless you're specifically making a movie with like one subject the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not saying it's wrong or right or wrong. I just think that it's going to be there because looking at the trends, it's like, my experience was I shot on tape and now it's very common for movies to have a purposeful tape aesthetic mm -hmm. or to have a purposeful um, 
vintage aesthetic that harkens back to the movies that they grew up on. And so I'm just trying to imagine what kids now are going to be making when they're our age. Yeah. And it's probably, you know, going to be looking back on, not everyone will be doing it, of course, I, but I do think it'll be added in in addition to, because realistically, cinema is fucking young, man. Like if we're talking about art forms, like photography and cinema it's one of more are, recent ones. are the youngest, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like compare, and I got hated on when it first came too. Yeah, like, yeah, and my phone just died. But like when they were doing, um, for example, when music videos came out in the '80s, artists, musical artists, protested. They were like, "I am a musician. I'm not an actor. I'm a musician. I'm a performer. I'm not an actor." And there was like this whole thing where musicians that I love, who made music videos that I love, are saying in interviews. I think music videos are bullshit and I don't want to make them. I'm a fucking musician, not an actor. By the time music video, by the time I was born, music videos were like how I experienced a lot of my visual media. A lot of my life came from VH1 Top 10 Countdown, um, TRL MTV's Top 10 Countdown, BT 106 and Parks Top 10 Countdown. There was like all these music video countdown videos or shows that I would watch. <clears throat> and it was beautiful to me because it was like short films, bunch of short films. I get to watch 10 short films in the next 30 minutes. Kind of how it felt. A lot of them back then too were like more on the cinematic level because they had actual directors and story writers involved with writing the stories for them because it was you had music and you had cinema, and then music videos is born out of that. But because we've gone so far past that now, it's like we have music and we have video, and we're putting that together trying to make cinema. You know what I'm saying? At least that's been like my experience. Yeah, I mean. I don't know, and I, I tend to ramble, so I might oh. take us in all, all the directions. We'll see. I'm the same way. Sometimes I start talking and like, Halfway into the point, I'm like, what was my what point? Was my point? <laughs> what was my point? Yeah. Where am I closing this? I'm like, I, I stopped talking. We talk about vertical filmmaking. Yeah, I know. It's it's a hot subject. And I, like, <laughs> everyone gets mad at me when I say I think it's going to be a thing. And that's fine that they get mad at me. I mean, you're probably not, right. You're probably, I, I'm not mad thing, about it. If it's a thing, I see it more in the corporate yeah, commercial exactly. environment than in the mainstream, like, cinema. Like, I don't think there's ever going to... Not yeah. to be wrong. I mean, there's already like vertical ads. But I don't think those, there's ever going to be uh, what is it, sixteen by nine or nine by sixteen? No, it's sixteen by nine is horizontal. And so I'm ne I'll never, I don't it's think there's ever, I don't ever think there's going to be. It's nine by sixteen. Yeah. What is it? Nine by it's sixteen nine will be vertical. Nine by sixteen. Yeah. Nine by sixteen will be vertical. So I don't think there's ever going to be a nine by sixteen, like medium for like the theater watching because the you have to build that infrastructure. You, you have, have to, to build that room. And that, even that the room itself, sit, yeah, the organ, the, it has to be vertical. The the geometry of the room has to change because it's the wide is not gonna work. You're gonna have to have like almost like a like you were saying like a like a like traditional theater where you have like different tiers. Yeah, like the of, opera, yeah. Like so being at opera, I think opera house. I don't know. We could be wrong. There's many people in the beginning. People said that film was not a thing. It's like takes away from live theater and yeah. look at where we are now. Right now it's like the most dominant forms of arts because like what we said in the last podcast, 
um, it's the medium that kind of knows how to blend all different arts together into yeah, one little potluck of like just emotional journey. Yeah. Um, but I think to, I think like television is gonna be a big deal vertical. Could be that I kind of yeah. I could see that. I mean, we already have monitors like computer monitors that you can work off of vertical. Yeah, and not to mention like it, it isn't the most common thing for most households, but there's people that buy vertical or they buy screens monitors and put them on their wall vertically as like a uh, a frame like a photo frame, but they're playing visual media whether it be um, like NFTs or something along those lines, but actual videos. I think there will be vertical cinemas eventually. Somebody's gonna make, it'll be like a it's Vegas a thing. I think it'll be you know like a I mean? different tier. Like, you know yeah. how you have IMAX, you exactly. have standard, yeah. you have 3D, it'll be. This movie is made to be, it might be a viewed in thing. vertical type shit. Like, I mean, I'm surprised it's not already, I, mean, I know there's vertical movies out there like on Apple TV and shit like that. I haven't checked any of them out, so I don't even know what what they're working with. But you know, one of the main uh, criticisms for vertical video is, you know, there's so much floor and there's so much headroom. And I'm like, yeah, well, plan for it. It's easy to tell, a, you know, a DP or a, a designer, we're shooting it like this, but and they plan for it. But I think the carpet is on point the ceiling is on point for the way it's supposed to be but i think that to an extent to kind of like piggyback on that on but on a negative or con side is you you cannot you can only expand the world so much on a height and on a high level um because from there you just see sky or floor it's i think with with horizontal you get more sensation of what this world can actually become because to an extent how much floor you're really going to show how much sky or how much so i feel like it's it's a very limiting world building approach I'm not saying it's not doable because usually we're proving wrong yeah but it's also like how much how much information can you really squeeze on a vertical medium sure. that doesn't become then just empty like yeah. you have to really because I think kind of to close this topic and to get into my uh, like um, approach on it or my perspective on it, yeah. like w- with filmmaking, I think for me, what a filmmaker is, is like the constant hardships and resolutions that you go through the development process of, of, of thinking of how can I get this done? How can I realize this vision? And to kind of tie this whole vertical aspect, like what type of justifications do you have to consider for you to, to justify why so much headroom, why so much floor? Right. And as a filmmaker, I think the filmmaker is someone that to, to the extent of frame by frame considers every potential A, B, Z, A, B, C, whatever, A to Z yeah. options to to put together and to nurture and to like it like just put these textures into a validated image that convey not only their vision but a connection with the audience right i think a filmmaker is someone that goes through not just a professional journey but a personal journey that can 
help them understand, develop, reflect, inspire, and just literally bring their visions to life through just all that combination of chaos, if anything. Yeah. And that. so for me, that's why when I when when I see that term thrown out a lot, you can be a good storyteller, you can be a good writer, you can be a good creator, you can be art doesn't have boundaries, but filmmaking I feel is the art of understanding what it takes to get to point A to Z. And just to close the vertical sense, I feel like the rationalities of making those extra layers of of image make sense doesn't really add up to the opportunities that you get more with the widescreen with the openness of it yeah, so i, I think it, it, not to hate on anyone because at the end of the day we all say we're filmmakers but we don't really we're, we're faced with oh day of oh uh, yeah you can use our location like we don't know how to react to that and the fact is that like encountering that and reacting and pushing through whether you succeed or fail that the next day makes you already a better filmmaker mm -hmm. so i think a filmmaker is someone who's constantly facing those obstacles facing the losses the Losses can be like just location, it can be media, it can be intel, it can be work, but it's someone that's just constantly persevering through all odds and noting those obstacles into their playbook of like, okay, now this is what I'm going to do better because I'm not going to let this happen again. Yeah. That's a filmmaker, someone who who understands the chaos behind it. Not just, let me just make a TikTok video and go viral. No, like that's, that's just, there's no real stakes in that, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but it's just- Yeah, there's no, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. There's, there's no, no art stakes. to it, in my opinion. Well, I I do think there's a lot of art in going viral because- uh, But depends on, but I wouldn't call it filmmaking. I, yeah, I think wouldn't call it's it a different, yeah, yeah. if anything, if it, it's a, a different business. It's yeah. a dif different so business it's a different model. Medium. So different that's why I'm too. saying like filmmaking is <clears throat> a true filmmaking. You know how many like Back to the Future was shot twice technically. Yeah. With a different actor. That is the filmmaking journey. That yeah. waking up the next day and seeing that your dailies are not what you expected or they're beyond your expectations. That art of like putting all your bets onto something that in on on paper should work, but we won't know until we see it. We won't know until it happens. Yeah, I love that as like your definition of filmmaker. Because that's been largely what my experience as a filmmaker has been. I mean, look at Scritchy. We had a lot a lot of setbacks. I, I, I spoke about this one yesterday or whenever it was that we tech rehearsed. The living room scene and we followed it to the t that was on paper and we couldn't get it and somehow looked different yeah yeah that's filmmaking right <laughs> there i feel that so that's that's my personal like opinion or my personal definition of what a filmmaker is yeah i i'm gonna go with a way simpler dumber version so. of that 
As a filmmaker, to answer the question, what do I think a filmmaker is? I think a filmmaker is someone who, from start to finish, using visual, audio, visual and audio, um, take us to a world and tell us a story from start to finish. And I think it's, um, when we're gonna say filmmaking, we're speaking almost exclusively about cinema in that regard, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I'm not over here as the word police. I'm doing better. People do what they wanna do and call themselves what they wanna call themselves. Because those definitions are changing all the time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do of one course. better and hopefully you can beat it. To dumb it down or to yeah. simplify it. I think a filmmaker is someone who's ready to give it their all no matter the odds that he faces. Determination. Yeah. Determination. A filmmaker okay. is a, de an, a determined artistic individual that understands all the cons that are literally flooding towards him and just manages to swim through them. Simple. I love that, yeah. What you got? To me, I mean, I think we all have very different, varying definitions of what a filmmaker is. Yeah. But like I mentioned before, I think a filmmaker, it devolves down to the art behind what they do. Whether it's vertical or not, it depends. To me, filmmaker is somebody that, that brings their vision to life with with the visuals and like you said what the audio is but everything has to have a meaning in my opinion you know what i mean mm -hmm. the framing the positioning of the subject what they're wearing what they're saying what you see in the background i feel like all of that has to have a play in what what the story that they're trying to portray is if it's not 360 with the creative design of the world is it filmmaking or is it videography? Because videography is capturing the world as it is, in my opinion. Right. Filmmaking is creating the world. To me, videography is making a aesthetically pleasing video, right? You can be a videographer, you go to a wedding, you make a video of the wedding, and as long as it's aesthetically pleasing, it looks nice, you get good shots, you get good lighting, that's videography. But to me, filmmaking, you have to put so much effort and attention to so much detail of what's on the frame and not just what's on the frame, but also the audio that has to, that plays into it. I think that that's to me is what the art behind it is because you describe filmmaking and you're like, okay, this is the journey that you make as a filmmaker when you're amidst this chaos. And to you, what did you say? I said, I feel like a film. Yeah, no, I've said a lot of things tonight, <laughs> but I don't remember any of what I said. But I feel like a filmmaker is uh, someone that takes you on a journey from start to finish. Yeah, so it's more about the storytelling for you. For me, a filmmaker is more about the the, the art and and the attention to detail that they put and everything. You're you're telling you're trying to tell a story, and yes, you go through this journey. You know, as a, as a creator, you go through this journey, and you're trying to tell a story. But you tell the story in what way through through visual and audio medium. And I feel like to me, when I when I try to direct something or, or create something whenever i write anything i'm already thinking of like okay this scene is gonna be is gonna look this way i have an idea more or less i'm gonna deal with the framing is gonna look like right but the background is gonna look like this he's probably gonna be wearing this because this is the mood that i'm trying to portray that's what i think filmmaking is yeah. if you if you do something different if you just make a a, a movie or a video 
about what's happening with someone to tell the story, but you don't care about what they're wearing, what they're doing, what they're saying, just to tell the story, then I don't, I don't consider that to be filmmaking. I consider that to be videography. Okay, Which is nothing so wrong with that. You can be a videographer and not a filmmaker. I mean, there's no, there's literally no issue with that. Well, but, let me ask you this. Yeah. With that being said, how do you feel about documentary filmmakers like Ken Burns or, you know, whoever that were that were thinking about? Because you know they are capturing people a lot of times exactly as they are, and they're taking you through. I a feel journey. like documentary filmmaking is a whole different style. Yeah, you know I feel I mean? like. So maybe maybe filmmaker can mean someone that's largely um, involved with the act of making cinema, right? Because a filmmaker can be the writer, it can be the director, it can be the cinematographer, it can be you know yeah. one of these many different roles that's on the set. Um, so maybe it's more of like a lifestyle. Maybe film, maybe mm. filmmaker is like you're a filmmaker only if you live the lifestyle of creating films. I like that because like that. that encompasses everything that you've spoken about as far as film. I think goes. to put it in Latham's term, filmmaker is an orchestrator. Like a videographer can be the musician, the person that knows has has to interpret and capture, but a filmmaker is the person that knows how to develop it, how to create it, how to embody it so i think to, to your point i think like people that do documentary they can be considered filmmakers because if anything they have to hunt a story with hundreds of hours of, of footage so i think to kind of like put this debate on a on a stone already is i think a filmmaker is someone who's willing to go through all odds to orchestrate their vision whether it's TikTok, YouTube, someone that knows that this is not just the simplest press and record. This is, this is a journey of constant, to an extent, constant disappointment yeah. and resolutions and just gratifications and just constant, constant everything. Yeah. I think it's that's a lifestyle. It's, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. I like that, that phrasing though. It's not just press and record. That's a good way to describe it. You're a filmmaker, it's not just press and record. You're not just capturing, you know, visual. There's there's so much more to it, you know? And you, you take everything into account, whether you're doing a documentary, a comedy, a horror movie, whatever it is, it's not just press and record. You know, yeah. you, you, you bring everything together to make something cohesive and you tell a story with it. I love that. I think that's... I think we've, we've hit point. the nail on the coffin yeah. with it. I think it's good. Um, we're... we're we're well into an hour and, and 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Let's kind of like find our close, not closing points. We can still talk about a topic or two. Yeah. I feel like there's but, a lot more that we want to, that I, I personally, I would like to pick your brain about. Oh, so we can always I think we can always one. have you for a second, yeah, a man. second edition of this uh, yeah, Calvin Tiger episode. Yeah. But yeah, um, I'm into that. I don't know. Okay. Um, I've been doing a lot of the talking. I'm sorry, which is. No, I've been doing a lot of the listening. And I'm not sorry. And let me I've tell been doing you, a lot of rambling. Let me tell you, <laughs> rambling, listening, talking—it's all a coherent harmony that needs to work off of each other, yeah. but needs to know in itself how to be a harmony. What am I getting to? Is that a lot of people don't really take the time to fucking listen? Like kind of what you were saying. Like sometimes you're chilling with your boy, thinking it's a good hangout sesh, and all of a sudden he's pitching a movie. Like <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of times we forget that. 
we need to just intake because to kind of go back with the constant theme of this conversation is we become better creators when we allow more intake in us not just regurgitation of just this is my idea this is my idea this is what i want the, the right. money like it's i think it's good to be able to know how to listen how to know mm -hmm. when to reserve your thoughts because maybe in that process you'll be like holy shit i never thought of that yeah holy shit that's a good approach wow i'm, I'm inspired now it's not just me trying to get something out of someone it's me I'm gonna work harder now. Yeah. Because this because is because of what that person said. So, yeah. And I've heard this a lot be said that there's a difference between listening to someone and waiting for your turn to talk. You know what I mean? Because when you listen, like whatever it is that you're gonna say, if you're actively listening to what the person's saying, whatever it is you're gonna say is gonna shift. You know, because you're gonna respond to it a different way if you're really taking in this information that they're telling you. Every every sentence that comes out of their mouth, they're like, okay. I have to react to this. Your, your brain is constantly like forging a different argument. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you're just waiting for your turn to talk, a lot of times it could be relevant to what the person just told you. You're just, you're or just outdated saying. Or just kind of like, we, I always talk about that like five conversations ago. What do you, what's your point in this? But I'm, yeah. I'm a huge, like I take a lot of blame in that. Sometimes I do that. But I rehash things that have already been rehash and also yeah. kind of like oh i'm gonna say this next i'm gonna say this next i'm waiting for the right opportunity but by then it's like we've gone past like, that yeah. so it's but I, I always know i'm doing a good job on a podcast or a conversation in general when i keep having things i want to say and then not saying them like not like understanding that i want to say this we've made it past that okay fuck it Oh, right. now I want to say this, but we've made it past it. Fuck it. Like, I always, like, whenever I've listened back to podcasts and, like, long-form conversations that I've recorded, I remember feeling like, oh, I wanted to say this in that moment, but I didn't. But it worked out. The conversation yeah. sounds great. So it was like, you know, I know that uh, I was listening in those, or trying to listen at least. And at the end of the day, I've noticed that, let's say we're the host of this, and you're the guest like the priority should be what the guest has to say mm -hmm. in my opinion like it's not because there's many times i'm like oh i really wanted to put my input i really wanted to like express my thoughts yeah, it's on not it. important but at the end of the day you're coming into our realm and we're the ones seeking your knowledge your voice so i think it's all it's it's a jazz game it's and yeah as a guest on on a podcast, I'm coming into your world looking to learn what you guys have to show and what you have to say. You know, I've been everything and nothing all at once. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of like my vibe, man. I'm like, <laughs> fuck it, like, hey, just do you, because like all we're guaranteed is right now, right? So enjoy the time that you can, like, enjoy the journey. Um, if you're gonna be a filmmaker, put everything you got into it, or else go home. Amen. I think that's why I like him. It kind of we he he said what like there's an expression that I always follow like heartily, which is the best leaders always speak last. And even when shit got rough during Screechy, you're always listening. You're always kind of like intaking. And there's moments I'm like, am I being too harsh? And do I should I really be saying this? 
but it was always like okay yeah i understand yeah and you we we had a developing conversation so I, that's why I really, I really was looking forward to this show. I was really looking forward to like. Mm -hmm. I'm Sorry to disappoint. To... No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Get out of my house. Now. Yeah. I, like, I mean, you have a good mentality. Yeah. Like, you kind of you go into it with all you have, and it reminds me of this Ron Swanson line. I don't know if you ever seen Parks and Rec. Love Parks and Rec. But he has this one line. He's like, "Don't, what, what is it? Don't half-ass many things. Whole ass one thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't half-ass many things. Whole ass one thing." Oh, they have Ron Swanson in the there house. There you go. One of those things. Dude, speaking of Ron Swanson, let's talk about uh, the, the last newest of us, episode of episode The Last three. of Us, bro. Wow. Huge, huge, huge wow, respect man. to the guy. Dude, big fan of... Uh, Tear jerker for sure. Yeah. Wow, man. What yeah, an emotional episode. Like, we, all, we can all agree that... What's his name on... The Nick, guy's name, the actual name. Nick Offerman? Nick Offerman is yeah. like the epitome of what we consider to be a manly man. Right. The Be fact that he yeah. played a, a homosexual he, role and yeah. to that extent of vulnerability, I have such a renowned and renewed sense of respect for the guy because it's like, oh my God, it's okay. In a way, it's okay to, to be vulnerable. It's okay to be something more than what people paint you as. Yeah. And this motherfucker is like, like, he has to get a nomination yeah. of this. Of course. I mean, at the end of the day, he's an actor. He's doing his job, you know? But we've it learned that be... some actors don't really want to, like, play yeah, a part. Yeah, it shouldn't be, like, a, a huge deal. I mean, we're all... To, to be honest, we're all kind of fluid in some way. You know yeah. what I mean? We're all human. We all share this one connection, so... I've seen Nick Offerman in several roles, and that one was the most vulnerable I've ever seen him. And it was the burliest, like male kissing i've ever seen on a screen like two beards rubbing up against each other that is unusual for our media this day and age mm -hmm. and i was just blown away by the vulnerability that both of the actors brought to it because um it spoke to uh a reality that we don't see on television that much or in life and, or in life right and I've, I've had plenty of uh, friends that are gay, men and women, and uh, I've got a bunch of trans friends, men and women, and um, they often have mentioned to me that they don't see the nuances of their experiences on cinema, in cinema, um, as much as they would want to. They see the like, stigma. They see the stereotype. They don't the, see, yeah, yeah. The, they don't see the journey. The journeys. They right? don't yeah. see the thing the is discovery. a lot of a lot of cinema these days. They touch these subjects, but it's all pandering. It's all they're trying to just appease them, yeah, as yeah. opposed to yeah, like yeah, share yeah. their their experience. You know. And to touching on bases, kind of like left field, but I feel like it might connect for those storytellers that get criticized for it. Oh, why don't you include more like female lead roles why don't you include more trans roles or like why don't you implement this more into your world building if i'm asked that question it's because i simply don't understand not understand sorry i don't know it enough to really do justice by it like right. i don't want to be the stereotypical character i want if i do a female lead role i want to really know what it takes what it goes through not just oh this is what i visibly see from a yeah. one-dimensional level no i want to see the full 
four dimensions of what it the journey that it takes to be a transitioning person that's trying to understand what it is that they are and what they want to be and and if they can't even be that if i don't understand that i i'm not i'm not the one to write about it right so yeah. that's just my point on that yeah they, you know they say write what you know so i write i write drama because i'm a fucking dramatic dude <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i voice my frustrations on the stories i create because of that and you you have your reasons you you have your my reasons my shit's just like an escape from my emotions mostly yeah like to be honest i i i'm intent i'm very intense as an individual emotionally especially and i don't know how to put that on uh i know how to put it on wax like when it comes to music but i don't know how to do it with cinema so i always end up exploring these ideas when i'm writing stories that are more of like the fun parts of my imagination and not so much the processing my emotions part. Yeah. You know? And so I have the, I have a, an awesome buddy. You guys met him, Wolf. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. He was doing, cool dude. yeah, he was doing audio for, yeah, right, Wolf. for Shout out Scritchy. to Wolf. Shout, Shout out Wolf. Wolf. Yeah, Wolf Turner, man. Check him out on Instagram at Wolf Turner. Hey. But uh, he's a horror film director and writer, filmmaker. And um, I oftentimes, I'm like, bro. I have no idea how these people are out here writing drama. And he's like, I feel you, man. I just, all I know is like storyline that like revolves like blood and guts. And I'm like, yeah, me too, dude. I just know like spectacle. I don't even know like Jerry Maguire. Like where would I even get started on telling a story about a lawyer? I have no idea where to, how to create drama. Good will um, hunting. Goodwill Hunting is a great movie, but I have no idea where to even begin with. It's all from personal experience. I thought the same thing. Like I never wrote drama because I didn't feel like I connected with anything that I had seen or anything that I would think about until I went through something um, kind of a heartbreak, and I was like, you know what? This is a good experience and a good way for me to kind of channel this like negative energy, energy yeah. onto paper. And I started writing a story that's still that, uh, in the process. Mm of uh of this heartbreak and it's in a, and it you know it, it really not only did it help um like move past it but it really brought like a lot of my emotions onto the story and i feel like you know it's gonna be good i could be wrong correct like because i'm just basing it off like my experience but when you put that innocence and vulnerability and like chaos on paper it might be too late by then in your real world but then like halfway through the story you're like holy shit wait was i the bad guy in my story yeah type of thing yeah you start finding lessons about why well, yeah that, that's the beauty of art really yeah and like you learn a lot about yourself yeah when you create that's why i love it like for me when i say I, I i write stories i literally have to stab myself in the heart thrust my fist into my heart and just literally piece by squeeze piece squeeze it yeah. squeeze it out that's how I create my stories. I can't, I can't, I'm not the type of person that like, let me just get in front of the computer, like, see what comes out. Yeah. I don't know, it doesn't feel like my voice. Sure. No, I, I totally get that. Um, when I wrote Scritchy, I put a, a lot of my own insecurities into the characters. And I was like, oh God, this is so obvious to everyone that these are my insecurities. I'm sure like everyone involved with this project just knows that like 
this is how I feel about this and that, this and this and this and that, because I wrote it, right? And then when I was talking with the actors, they're like, what is the emotion here? And I'm like, oh, they're kind of feeling this. And they're like, oh, that reminds me of this one time where I experienced so-and-so, so I'm gonna use that. And then they put that on screen and it connected with the same thing that I was feeling. But the secret is, it's my insecurity and no one is experienced, no one is reading it and going, oh, he must be insecure about these things about himself. You know what I mean? Like once it's on the page, once it's on the paper, then it takes a life of its own. Yeah. That's separate from yours. Um, so that's I, the beauty of it too. That is the beauty of it. But there are, like if, if you're a person that, you know, you can start to see trends in people's brains based on their filmmaking, right? I recently was watching this video that was um, out of nowhere, all of a sudden slamming Tarantino, which I thought was really fascinating. Because, Good luck with that. <laughs> well, there, there, there's a lot to get them on, but this is, a, and this was a take I hadn't heard recent, I hadn't heard at all, but they were like, um, you know, writing movies with female lead characters that embody this type of experience, et cetera, et cetera. And then they were all of a sudden, they were like, not just some random, uh, they didn't say random, but not a female that is on revenge to kill a man because a man did her wrong. That's basically the same story as a man, you know, going after so-and-so that did them wrong. It's not like enough of the female experience. And then also the object, the objectification of females in this storyline and this type of dialogue and these types of ideas over a certain amount of time, you can kind of take away from his movies what kind of person he is. You know what I mean? And there is a lot of people that just feel like his ideas are um, questionably, you know, politically correct. And you don't have to be politically correct to make art or to make great art. And most great art isn't that way. But I mm. think that, um, you know, it's it's really about yeah. how, how you feel, your experience on it. Because yeah, I when mean, it comes down to it, like, <clears throat> I have a partner that is a different race. You know what I mean? Like... We're all we're all humans, but like she had a black culture growing up, and I had a white culture growing up, and we have very different experiences in that way. And a lot of times, I'm asking her like what her take is on certain things because I view it one way, but I don't know how to view that from coming from a person who's had her experiences. Right. And so, like asking her about them and, and being filled in on that, I'm able to take like her experiences and put them into a character if possible, if you know, if I understand them well enough, which I don't always understand shit well enough to like put them into other characters. But I try my best when I'm writing characters that are, you know, different from my experience to ask my friends who have had those types of experiences. Yeah. Like, it's what important it would be like. too as a storyteller to put yeah. yourself in other people's shoes. I think so. You know, everyone has a different experience, regardless of whether you're the same race or different race or the same religion or different religion, or same culture or different culture. Everybody has, Every individual has their own experience growing up, you know what I mean? Even yeah. if you're a twin, you have a different experience growing up. Yeah, for sure. So it's it's hard to to really judge someone for being different. Like I I never understood it. And Oh, that shit drives me crazy. Yeah, bro. I mean and political correctness is is kind of subject subjective to yeah, depending it, on it who you are, where you're from. Um, because again, Everyone has different experiences growing up. Everyone believes different things. And also the idea of like right from wrong varies depending on where you're from. Like morality is also kind of subjective when you really think about it. So yeah. 
And then to put like the cherry on top is just like life. Filmmaking is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Filmmaking is hard really as fuck. And that, fun, that humbleness, I think, is what also... Humility. That humble and humidity is also what attributes <laughs> the humidity. you. The humidity as well, bro, <laughs> in Florida. Humidity yeah, is bad, you. but humility is also all bad. Hardship. <laughs> Essentially, the, all the hardships is what makes you a better filmmaker. Exactly. So, uh, we're running out of time, and I think we need to kind of like put the cap on it. Okay. But, uh, nah, man, it's been a fucking journey talking about this. We started the podcast with a fucking like story development. I think it was yeah. this take, but... Jesus, what a fucking journey yeah, with you, yeah. man. We didn't even Creative touch... infinity, bruh. Creative infinity, that's baby. The, that's the... That's what the podcast That's the name of the episode. That's yeah, the name of the episode. Creative infinity. Fuck yeah. How we wrapped everything into a singular package. Yeah. We didn't even touch on all the subjects that I wanted to touch on uh, with you about. will be a part two, guys. Don't worry. You're definitely coming back so we can... Uh, I'd love to. So we can talk about those. Do you but... have any final notes or like things you want to share with our listeners? Um, I just want to say like... Uh, do your best to be you and find your voice because um, what we, we're all a bunch of followers, but we're also all a bunch of leaders and there's varying degrees in that. So my thing is uh, just do you to the best of your ability. Be kind, don't harm anyone and um, enjoy this time while you got it because that's all we got is like the right now i keep saying that but it's really how i feel i'm gonna i'm gonna let you ask the question well how do we close the show uh, i don't know how do we close the show. all right it's still episode you two it's still yeah. episode two he's gonna, <laughs> eventually he's gonna take the he's gonna steal it from me which will be okay but um i used to have a podcast back in the day called simply creative and we will touch bases on all these creative things as well. It's kind of, this is like the second gen of the identity of cool. what I'm trying to do. Yeah. But Love what was it. constant with it is that at the, at the end of each episode, just like film being subjective, I want to hear what the oh. guest has to say about what creativity is for, means to them. So in that realm, Calvin, what does creativity mean to you? I like when there's silences in podcasts because I know that the guest is thinking about the answer. I can wait for the answer. Um, <laughs> creativity to me in my experience is understanding you're an antenna and finding the best way to be receptive to those frequencies that are coming in because we're all creative. There's lots of people that say they're not creative, but they are. They just don't see their creativity in what they're doing. I think um, creativity is very human um, quality because we're able to take many different ideas, and converge and experiences and put them into one action or a series of actions. So, um, creativity to me is, okay, I'll say this, I have a definition and I have an experience. By definition, creativity to me is allowing the creative energies around you to flow through you. That's, that's being creative. 
my experience with creativity is it's what I live for. I create projects, art projects, all of them are my babies. And I put so much time, love and effort into them. So being creative, quote unquote, is what I live for. It is the way in which I live my life and it'll probably be the way in which I die. Something creative. Capacity. I don't know. I like that. And I probably could, you know, like, I don't love that answer, but that's how I'm feeling right now. Bro, I, I mentioned in the last podcast, my definition of creativity is ever-changing because it's yeah. all developing yeah. on oneself's experience. Like, even you touched on it just now. Like, creative does not mean art. Creative, creative is finding resolution in things, finding innovation in things. You, yeah. Like an engineer is creative in its own Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. A, a chef is a creative in its own ways. Like just simply deciding what to eat today is you creating a resolution to a problem. Yeah, I love talking to numbers people and them saying, "Oh, I'm not creative." Yeah. Because I'm like, look at the way you. Mm -hmm. lay this like strategy out for investing what the fuck you mean you're not creative like you have like all these different angles that you've considered numbers is what builds yeah. the tools we use now yeah. yeah cinema alexa red all that to an extent yeah celluloid before was a little bit more physical That was creativity. <laughs> that was insane. Wow. Thank you for Talk the definition. Talk about comedic timing, man. Right? I, I don't know if we can add anything to that. I think we need to like. <laughs> thanks, call. Siri. <laughs> Siri, don't. Thanks, thanks. Alexa. No, no, don't say. Don't say her name. She's listening. Oh, that was solid. Thank you, my AI compadre. <laughs> That's creativity right there. Right about that. The numbers created that <clears> answer. Ones and zeros made it. Will I need two numbers, one and zero? I think, yeah. At that, I'm, I would toast, but we were out of wine, so... I was, <laughs> let's close. Let's clink, let's clink just to give clink, it a... Let's, uh, let's a give it Once again, Calvin Tiger, thank you for, thank you for coming. Uh, Andy, to Dave. a second... Chain chain to nothing, but creative To a second vibes. episode with Calvin Tiger. Pleasure to be Creative here, mind. Oh! And Sparky. That's thank not you, Sparky. Sparky. And Sparky. Shout out to Sparky. There he goes again. Loved being here. Thank you. Guys. All right, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everything. Make sure to check out our YouTube page, our Instagram. Make sure, make sure to check out Calvin the Tiger. At Branchy. Calvin underscore Tigre. Check out everyone. We're all a creative unit, like Call of Duty. Yeah. Good, good night, guys. What's for dinner? Good night. And what is it? What did you say in uh in uh the Jim Carrey movie? Which one? Um. Good night and something. What is this? Oh, I know what you're talking about in the Truman Show. That's the, the Truman Show? Oh, I thought you meant the... And in the Bruce Truman Almighty. Show, he says, uh, Good evening, good afternoon, and if I don't see you again, good night. That one, yeah, something oh, like that. Bruce Almighty is like, that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's the way the cookie, the cookie crumbles. crumbles. All right, yeah. seriously, bye. Da, 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 yeah, bye. 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 Really, what's for bye. dinner? What's for dinner?
Oh, tacos. Tacos, bye.